This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamar Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. We're going to look today at Psalm 104, which is the psalm that is traditionally recited on Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the new month. It has a place in our liturgy, but not our daily liturgy. So it's a little bit less well-known than some of the psalms we recite more often. And I will say also, it is lengthy, which you'll notice. And when we recite it on Rosh Chodesh, we generally do that at the very end of services, when people are sometimes already kind of on their way out. So all of this to say that Psalm 104 doesn't always get the attention that it deserves, which I think is a shame because I think it's really beautiful. Here we go. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed in glory and majesty, wrapped in a robe of light. You spread the heavens like a tent cloth, God sets the rafters of God's lofts in the waters, makes the clouds God's chariot, moves on the wings of the wind. God makes the winds God's messengers, fiery flames God's servants. God established the earth on its foundations so that it shall never totter. You made the deep cover it as a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. They fled at your blast, rushed away at the sound of your thunder. Mountains rising, valleys sinking, to the place you established for them. You set bounds they must not pass, so that they never again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in torrents. They make their way between the hills, giving drink to all the wild beasts. The wild asses slake their thirst. The birds of the sky dwell beside them and sing among the foliage. You water the mountains from your lofts. The earth is sated from the fruit of your work. You make the grass grow for the cattle and herbage for man's labor, that he may get food out of the earth. Wine that cheers the hearts of men, oil that makes the face shine, and bread that sustains man's life. The trees of the Lord drink their fill, the cedars of Lebanon, God's own planting, where birds make their nests, The stork has her home in the junipers. The high mountains are for wild goats. The crags are a refuge for rock badgers. God made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows when to set. You bring on darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest stir. The lions roar for prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they come home and couch in their dens. Man then goes out to his work to his labor until the evening. How many are the things you have made, O Lord? You have made them all with wisdom. The earth is full of your creations. There is the sea, vast and wide, with its creatures beyond number, living things small and great. There go the ships and the Leviathan that you formed to sport with. All of them look to you, 
to give them their food when it is due. Give it to them, they gather it up, open your hand, they are well satisfied. Hide your face, they are terrified. Take away their breath, they perish, and turn again into dust. Send back your breath, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in God's works. God looks at the earth and it trembles. God touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. All my life I will chant hymns to my God. May my prayer be pleasing to God. I will rejoice in the Lord. May sinners disappear from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah. So why do we sing this on Rosh Chodesh? That's a really good question, right? It doesn't explicitly mention Rosh Chodesh. The sort of most obvious answer, I would say, is the reference to God's renewal in the way that the moon waxes and wanes, this perpetual renewal of the earth and its cycles, which is really tied to Rosh Chodesh. And in particular, the fact that it says, Asayareach lemoadim, God made the moon to mark the seasons. Rosh Chodesh is obviously oriented around the moon. That's sort of the, the straightforward answer of like, what does this have to do with Rosh Chodesh, right? There's, there's an explicit call out to the way that the moon helps us mark time and seasons. And maybe there's more here than that yeah. also. Well, what is Rosh Chodesh about? Does Rosh Chodesh have a deeper significance as a holiday than just, all right, turn the calendar page? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that sort of the deeper significance of Rosh Chodesh is about what is the opportunity that is presented by the turning of that calendar page. And so it's almost seen in some ways as like a mini Yom Kippur. And maybe actually that's even what it's about at the end, right, where it says that there should no longer be any sinners. It seemed that sin had nothing to do with the rest of this psalm. But there's an idea that actually Rosh Chodesh is an opportunity for repentance and atonement, a time for sort of like taking stock and starting fresh, right? Just as the moon is sort of coming back from nothingness and gets a clean slate, there's an idea that we get that on Rosh Chodesh too. Right. And this, um, you were talking about renewal earlier, and there's this set of verses about how God provides all the food to all the animals. And then it says in verse 29, hide your face, they are terrified, which is, you know, we don't in Judaism equate God to the moon, but like the face of the moon is completely hidden during the Rosh Chodesh, the new moon. Yeah. And like, I think we don't necessarily think about this that often because we live in a world with a lot of artificial light. But the time right before Rosh Chodesh, when there is no visible moon and the sky is really dark, is really scary <laughs> in the ancient world. Or today, if you're in the wilderness, right? It's really different to be outside at night when there's a full moon and have some light to be able to see versus being outside when the moon's face is hidden. Right. So there's this imagery of the scariness of that. They're terrified. Take away their breath they perish and turn into dust. So this kind of very poetically illustrates this withdrawal of God or this withdrawal of life. And then the next verse comes back and it says, send back your breath, they are created. You renew the face of the earth. So that image that you talked about at the beginning of renewal is 
very strong here. And to me, that's a very resonant metaphor, I think, for climate change. It's like we're in this place now where we can often be terrified because of the withdrawing, the death that we see, the withdrawing of nature and the withdrawing of the resources that we depend on. And there's this promise here that God's always ready to renew. Yeah, it's certainly a promise of potential. Even when it seems like we're reaching the end of something and it seems like there's a lack of possibility, both this psalm and I think Rosh Chodesh of like that sense of like the moon is back and the light is increasing again. And and we do get to turn over a new calendar page and a new leaf is a reminder that that there is always potential for repair and renewal and the sending back of breath and spirit, even when those things seem like they're gone or seem like they're leaving. Yeah. And when I first looked at the psalm, the connection I made with our topic was the imagery of all the animals are in their place, right? The psalm describes almost an ecosystem. I mean, not as complex as we would describe it today, but like the rain comes here and goes there and feeds the trees and the animals live here. And it's like very striking how humanity is kind of reduced to a few lines and nature is really the vast majority of it. Yeah. Kind of puts humans in our place. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love actually the way that this psalm is sort of like a puzzle of all the things or many of the things that make up the natural world. And humans are a few pieces of that puzzle, but we're not really special pieces of that puzzle. I love that like the sea is described as teeming with life, right? All of these like great and small creatures and also boats, right? Like <laughs> those are just all things that are that are in the sea together. And I think that there is something humbling about that, but like in a really beautiful way. You know, I think there's a temptation and it's a temptation that I think is sometimes or sometimes egged on by some of our other sacred texts to think that humanity is really special and that everything here on this planet revolves around us. And uh, I think there's something really powerful about remembering that maybe we're not so great. (laughs) And that there's something in the psalm where it's like every part of creation has a relationship with God, that it's not just like humans have a relationship with God and then everything else is just objects. It's like all the animals, like the lion is roaring to God, right? Yeah. It's a really egalitarian psalm. And it's not even just humans and animals, right? It's also mountains and valleys and the sky and the water, right? Like it's all of the natural world is of the divine and has a role to play. Yeah, I guess... In this context of looking at it as ecosystems and the relationship of the created world, not just with God or with humans, but with each other, that the rains come down and make the rivers and feed the grass and the animals eat from that grass. And then this idea of renewal towards the end. I think it's a really inspiring combination because, you know, you were saying that humans initially just took a small part of this psalm and of the world. And part of the problems we're encountering by extracting so many resources and putting um, greenhouse gases increasingly into the air, and then we see our own 
farming and places we live diminishing because of that. It's kind of like this idea of let's look back to when nature had a greater role and the idea of nature being able to actually renew itself. Well, in this psalm, God is renewing nature, but the way that we observe it with our eyes is if we give nature the chance to come back, it actually can rebound and renew and achieve this like beautiful, full of life status that we see in the psalm. Yeah, and I love actually the way that that potential for renewal is assured in this psalm, because I think potentially one of the messages that we could take away from this interconnection of different parts of nature is, oh my gosh, we use a particular resource or we destroy a particular piece of habitat or a particular piece of the ecosystem. And like that has all of these ripple effects, right? Because this really highlights the way that like God tells the mountains where to go. And then those rock cliffs become shelter for different animals. And like, we're not always necessarily sensitive to all of the things that a particular element of the ecosystem is doing. So I think potentially there could be like a real fear that's instilled here of, oh my gosh, like what happens when we disrupt that somehow, right? What are all of the unforeseen consequences that we've generated, which like we know what some of those are because we're experiencing some of them. But I love that that is balanced with the promise of renewal, Mm -hmm. right? That like even if particular pieces of this ecosystem get a little bit thrown out of whack, that there is the potential, because of the way that all of these things are sustained by the divine, there is the potential for for coming back to an equilibrium, even if we, in our inability to notice sort of all of these connections, even if we throw that off with our actions. Right. And so I think then we can read the end of the psalm, which is kind of confusing and doesn't immediately relate to the theme of may sinners disappear from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah. In that context, it's kind of like if we can learn how to work with nature instead of against nature. So maybe in this conceptualization, the sin is this destruction of nature. And if we can learn to change our relationship towards nature and, you know, sinners disappear from the earth, then we can experience the glory of the natural world. And barchi nafshi, my soul blesses, right? This ability to get in touch with that divine nature and receive that blessing. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.